Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. My name is Mike. If I haven't met you before, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. We were supposed to be outside, but it is what it is, right? We pray for rain, and sometimes God sends it when we don't want it, but that's life, right? God gives us what we need when we need it because He is a good God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've been going through a study in the Bible together in the book of Hebrews, and so if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's near the end if you... If you're uh, new to church or new to Christianity, and if you're looking where to find it, uh, Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be spending some time together this morning. And so Hebrews chapter 3. And so a lot of what we've been doing is talking about how Jesus is the greatest of all time. We call this the GOAT series because Hebrews is all about describing and defining to us the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of our God, the greatness of His character, of His person, of His works. And so we've really been looking how Jesus is really the the person that we're all called to follow, and He's the one who mediates us between a relationship to know and experience God Himself. And so we're we're looking at a chapter today uh, which talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And I'm going to explain why that's significant for us. But uh, before we go into that discussion, I think really this comes down to an understanding of who we follow. We, We follow what we think is greatest for our life, don't we? We pursue things that we think has greatest purpose, greatest meaning, greatest significance. And it's fascinating for me, uh, I'm coming up to 17 years following Jesus, amen? Who who remembers? Yeah, we can clap for that, I guess. Well, we can all celebrate our own stories, but uh, I want you to think about that time where where you, you made a commitment and a desire to follow King Jesus, because that's a very significant point in our lives that really transforms us and changes us to what we're called to be. And for those of you who remember your life before Christ, before following Jesus, what are some all the other things that we can follow in this life? Yeah, we can follow money, right? And where does that lead to? We never have enough, right? What are some other things we follow in this life? We can follow false teaching. We can follow things that lead us on a wrong path or deceive us, things that are lies, people that take advantage of you, right? What are some other things that we follow? Yeah, sports. Um, Who was emotionally traumatized by the Oilers losing. (laughs) If you were, the Oilers are probably an idol in your life, okay? (laughs) But we, we can turn sports into the greatest following where we spend time and energy and money following a game that in light of eternity, in light of even this world, makes really no difference, does it? It's just a game. And yet we treat it as significant and ultimate. What are some other things we follow in life? Politics. Yeah, politics, right? Where we get our minds wrapped in about changing the world. And if we get the person we want in leadership, what do we think is going to happen? Everything's going to get better. But is that ever true? 
That is never true. <laughs> In all of history, that is never true. And so even following politics or political leaders will always let us down. And so there's so many things that we can commit our time and energy and purpose and meaning and value towards that ultimately leave us absolutely depleted and destroyed at times, and we ultimately find that they actually have no significance or meaning in and of themselves. And part of the reason I bring this up is because when, when we look at what we were created for as humans— when we think about why God created us and the very purpose to our existence, um, some traditions have said it like this. The Westminster Catechism, if you guys have ever heard of that before, says the chief end of man. In other words, the purpose of humanity is what? Does anyone know? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And another way of saying that is our very purpose and existence as humans it is to know God, to be known by God, and to live out the purposes of God. And so often in life we get distracted from that, don't we? We get sidetracked from that. We pursue something completely different. But the, the passage in Hebrews this morning is going to confront us once again just as it confronted the original hearers to this message. And so let me just start by, by reading Hebrews 3.1 for us. We're, we're going to walk through this passage together and, and hear what God has to teach us, what God has to instruct us, and what God has to convict us about. And so chapter 3 begins like this. Therefore, holy brothers, brothers and sisters, he's talking about the church here. He says, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, I'm going to pause here because there's actually an insane amount of things to wrap up in these one little verse. Well, think about this. What is a heavenly calling? What is he talking about here? Well, this connects back with chapter 2, which we talked about, where the original purpose of humanity, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, what were they supposed to do? Does he remember? They were supposed to rule and reign and have dominion over creation. They were supposed to, just as God created with creativity and wisdom and insight and order and structure and beauty, humanity was called to do the same thing. And yet, what do we do as humans? We messed it all up, right? Instead of following God's desire, following God's wisdom, following God's instruction for how we were supposed to live, what did we decide? That our way was better. <laughs> and as we look at human history, humans functioning, have we really been better than God's purposes? What have we created throughout history? War, chaos, injustice, evil, selfish, feminists, all these things are the byproducts of humanity when we take control. And yet the calling that God has for us isn't just to be perpetrators of evil and injustice, but the calling He has for us is to be creators of beauty. 
And the language that Scripture uses in, in Genesis is actually the same language we saw in chapter 2, and he's reminding us of in chapter 3, that humans are created to rule and reign as kings and priests over creation. Isn't that interesting? That our, our very function as humanity is to be priests and kings, and, and ultimately it's the church that fulfills this role. Um, if you're familiar with a, a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter says it like this. He, he defines the church, the people of God in this sense, the people who live out the purposes of God. He says, but you are a chosen race. 1 Peter 2, 9. A royal, does anyone know? Priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the vision and purpose that God has for humanity, for us as the people of God, for the church, is to rule and reign over creation in a way that brings glory and honor to God. That's the potential that we as humans are called to. And so think about this. this. This is our calling for eternity that has been fulfilled because of what Jesus has done that we talked about last week in chapter 2. But think about this. For, for those of you who are part of the church, you're in the presence of royal company. Have you ever thought of that? That you're surrounded by kings and priests right now? who will rule and reign for all of eternity in creation with God? See, so often we dehumanize each other, don't we? We devalue each other. And yet we're reminded, wait a second, we're, we're given a heavenly calling to rule and reign with God for eternity. And so maybe just whoever's sitting beside you, I don't, I don't know if you know them or not, but just say, if you're a believer... You're a priest in the kingdom of God. You can say it. And if you're not a believer here this morning, we, we pray that that would be your heart's desire to, to understand God's greater calling for you in life. Because I promise you what you're living for now apart from Jesus has no value, no significance, no meaning. It's in Jesus that we find what it actually means to be human. And so the implication of this heavenly calling then for the people of God is now we've been called by God to live heavenly lives. In other words, it's not just an identity that we hold as kingdom of priests, but it's this calling that we have which means to live a heavenly life is to reflect the morality and the beauty and the power of God himself, of, of heaven, so to say. And so this is the, the calling that God has placed before us. Now, here's the problem. Can we as humans do that on our own? No. No. We strive, we work. I mean, this is why self-help books are so popular because we try to be fully human, but we can't do it in our own power because we're sinful beings. 
We go the wrong direction. We make the wrong decisions. But, but here's the good news. Here's the beauty of what comes next. Here's why our heavenly calling is even possible. It says, consider who? Consider who, church? Jesus. The good news of Jesus. And look how he is described here. This is the only time in the scripture that Jesus is ever referred to as an apostle. It says he is an apostle and he is a high what? High priest. Now, now what's the significance of saying this? Jesus as an apostle, when we, we just went through the book of Acts, who remembers the definition of apostle? Apostle, a sent one, right? Someone who is being sent. And so we, we have this image then of Jesus as an apostle. He is God sent where? To us. God sent to us. Now, flip that on the other side. A high priest, their responsibility in the, the Israelite community as the Jews, the high priest's responsibility was to make sacrifices for the people so that a sinful people could come before a holy God. And so Jesus as the high priest, the ultimate high priest, the greatest high priest, the ending of every other high priest is this concept of Jesus also brings us to God. That we as a sinful, flawed people can now be in the presence of a holy, perfect God. And so when we read this passage, when we, when we see that Jesus is the apostle and the high priest, we see this implication that Jesus is the only hope that we have as humans for God to come to us, and the only hope we have as humans for us to actually be in the presence of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that mind-blowing? Like, these titles just work together so beautifully. And so these two titles complement each other, which, which shows us that Jesus is sent by the Father in order to enable humanity to have access to God, in order to fulfill the relationship that we all long for of knowing and experiencing God, the very reason that we were created. And so Jesus makes it possible for us to live out our ultimate calling our ultimate purpose, our ultimate meaning in life. Now, this is crucial because, again, we look for purpose and meaning and value in so many other directions, in so many other things, and they always leave us lacking. They always leave us wanting for more. Jesus is the only one that can fulfill what our heart longs for and follow ultimate significance and meaning. And I bring that up because we're going to learn from a mistake that the Israelites made. And it's this warning for us as a church not to make that same mistake. Now, the mistake that they made was, was following someone who they thought was just as significant as Jesus. And who was that person in this text? Moses. Now, we're going to process a little bit more, but first of all, why Moses? For the original audiences to this letter, the early church, who was primarily Jewish, uh, they would have seen their entire history as a nation and their purpose and their significance and their meaning as a nation completely wrapped up in Moses. Why? Where do we see Moses in the story of Israel? What are some very key stories that we see him in? Exodus. 
Yeah, we see him in the Exodus, right? And the Exodus story is how God's people were in slavery to the Egyptians, and God sends Moses to send a message of freedom, and he brings those in slavery in Egypt out of Egypt into deliverance and freedom and sonship. So we see Moses in the Exodus, probably the most significant event for an Israelite. What are some other places that we see Moses? The Ten Commandments, and so the giving of the law. And so when God instructed his people, this is how you should live, this is how you should be human, we see Moses there, guiding people, instructing them in the ways of God. Another extremely significant event for a Jew. What are some other spots? Yeah, Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, right? Those are the two major ones, so good job. You guys hit the major ones. And, and so, so think about this. It, it says that Moses was faithful, and so let's read this. Just as Moses was also was faithful in God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory than the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 5 says again, now Moses was faithful in God's house. And so what was Moses faithful in? Well, the household of God that's being referred to is the people of God. And so when we talk about our families, right, um, sometimes we use the language of, well, my household. And who are we referring to? We're not talking about the physical house, but we're talking about our, our family, the people in the house. And so this is the language being used. Moses was faithful in all God's house. In other words, overseeing the people of God. Now, how was he faithful? He was faithful in those two major things. He was faithful in delivering them out of slavery. He was faithful in guiding them and instructing them with the law. And so he really changed the trajectory and culture of the Israelites. So Moses holds a special place in the the hearts of a first century Jew. Uh, I mean, he's really considered to be the greatest person in history at this point. Uh, He would sort of be the goat, the greatest of all time at this point in history to a Jew. Now, we, we see something here then. We see something significant because what is being taught here is how easy it is to follow something lesser than Jesus. And I want to bring up a, a story, and then we'll process this more together, but I want to bring up a story that happens with the disciples just to show you the connection of how significant Moses was to them. When we go to the Gospel of Luke, we go to an event called the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Mount of Transfiguration is this interesting story of where Jesus begins to reveal a little bit more of who he is. So Luke chapter 9, verse 33. Let's look at the story together. Verse 28, I'm going to start there and we're going to hold out in verse 33. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, after Jesus was teaching about his coming death, about his crucifixion, what would happen to him? He took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. 
In other words, there's this implication of who he truly is. And behold, two men were talking with him. Guess what those two men were? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, they're affirming the purposes and plans of God for Jesus to die for the sins of the world on the cross. Now Peter and those who were with them were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make how many tents? Three. Let us make three tents. Now, just to give you an implication here and understanding that the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, even the temple, was the concept of Jewish culture where the presence of God resided, right? Now, they're making three tents, one for Jesus, one for who? One for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, here's where the historian Luke sort of gets a little harsh on Peter and brings out the implication. It says, not knowing what he said. In other words, he did not understand what he was saying. Why? Because he was equating Moses with who? With Jesus. Massive mistake. And here's what happens next. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In other words, Jesus is God. Moses is not. Jesus is a greater Moses. And so here's, here's the thing. When we process this together, how often in life do we place something on equal plane with Jesus? And we may not do it intellectually. We may do it more practically in how we live our lives. We may do it in how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy. There's all this time and space that we use in life that we pursue or we worship or we glorify, we give worth to something other than Jesus, don't we? I'm a little confession time, like who has done that in their life, right? All hands should be up right now. We've all done it. We've all treated something either equal or greater than Jesus in our life. And the warning that comes to us is, no, nothing is worth or more valuable or greater significance than Jesus. And this is something the Jews had to learn very early on with their understanding of Moses, that Jesus is so much greater and the, the passage reminds us, let, let's just process together a little bit about how greater Jesus is than Moses. And so think about this. Let me read, let me read these passages again, and we're going to look how Jesus is greater than Moses. 
says, verse 3, For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. What's the implication? Moses is simply a created creature. Jesus is the creator. He's the builder. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. In other words, Moses spoke about something and represented something that would come later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. In other words, he's part of the family. So let's, let's think about this for a little bit. Moses and Jesus. When we think about some of the major things and uh, involvements that Moses had in his life compared to Jesus. Well, again, Moses was faithful in God's house, whereas Jesus built it. In other words, Moses was just a member of the family of God, but Jesus was the founder and creator, the builder of the family. Much more significant. Now, let's think of some other significant things that Moses did in his life. And so we talked about Jesus part or Moses part of the Exodus, right? And so what's the story again of the Exodus? Moses did what to the people? He delivered them out of slavery. He delivered them out of Egypt, right? And the narrative there that we see is God's people who were slaves now become free. God's people who were slaves, and the Exodus is the first time that God is ever referenced to as father in the Bible, that they actually move from slaves to sons adopted into the family. Now, did Jesus not perform a much greater exodus? A new exodus? What is that greater exodus? That our greatest enemy, the most thing we're most enslaved to in this life, which is sin and death, has been defeated in Jesus, right? And so Jesus took us as the greater exodus, those who were enslaved to our sin, enslaved to death, that one day death will take us all, now have freedom and life through the greater exodus in King Jesus. Amen? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Now, now think about the other thing we talked about. Moses was there at Mount Sinai with the law, and he gave the law to the people. And what's fascinating is later on we read in the story that people all said, oh yeah, we're going to follow the law. Did that happen at all? No, right? They neglected, they rejected God's ways and purposes for their life. So Moses is here and he gives the law, he gives a guidance and structure for a healthy way to people live. But then Jesus comes and he says, I fulfill the law. In other words, it was never just about a bunch of rules and regulations. It was about the very purpose of what it means to be human and to live out what it means to be human. And so Moses sort of gives the law, but Jesus in and of himself is the law and fulfills the purpose of the law. It's beautiful. Now, here's another thing. Uh, Jesus or Moses was around the tabernacle, right? Which represented what? The, the presence of God, right? The holies of holies. It represented the presence of God. 
And so we see Moses around the tabernacle and working around the presence of God. But then Jesus comes in the New Testament and says, this temple will be destroyed in three days. I will raise it up again, referring to his resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the temple. I am God. I am the presence of God. Another greater thing. We, we see Moses as this temporary prophet to testify to the things, but then Jesus becomes the eternal prophet of God. And so we, we see all this language in Scripture about how Jesus is fulfilling all the purposes of God and how Jesus is greater even than the greatest being that they could ever imagine in their history. And so my encouragement for us today, that as we wrestle with a text like this, and as we, we look at our own lives and as we examine, what do we follow? What do we live for? What are actually our purposes in life? Who are we submitting to? Because the, the, the text ends with a little bit of a warning in verse 6. It says, we are His house. In other words, we are the people of God. We are followers of Jesus if. If what? If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so this is, this is really what it means to be part of the people of God, is to trust and follow Jesus. That is what defines us. And it's, it's, it's not the sense of looking back in our lives and saying, well, I prayed a prayer and I trusted Jesus at this point in my life and I made some sort of statement of faith and so I'm just good to go for the rest of my life. No, this is a pursuit. This is a life of trusting and committing and submitting to God's purposes in your life. We, we always must trust and follow the one who guides us and directs us. Uh, I mean, it's, it would be similar to, to walking with a, a mountain guide, so to say, and maybe you follow them up, up the mountain and you have no idea where you are, but you've been following your guide, and then once you get to the top of the mountain, you say, oh, I'm good now, and the guide leaves and you're just left there on your own. You're not trusting in your guide anymore, are you? You're lost. You're, you're not saved. Where, where we hold fast. In other words, we, we, this is why it says consider. Follow over and over and over and over again in life. It's, it's not this one-time commitment, this statement. It's a life of pursuit, a life of considering, a life of Jesus always being at the forefront of our mind is what it means to be the people of God. It's, it's persevering through following the one and only who can save us, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the only hope that we have to know God, to experience God, the only hope we have in Jesus is, is God coming to us and us coming to God as Jesus is the apostle and the high priest. That is the good news we have. He is the greatest. That's why we must follow him with every aspect of our lives. Amen, church? Amen. And again, if you're here this morning 
And you don't know Jesus, and you, you don't know this. This isn't just about a bunch of spiritual stuff and a bunch of meaningless stuff, ritualistic gatherings. No, this is, this is everything in our lives as the church. Jesus is everything. It defines everything to our being and to our purpose and to our meaning and to our value. And so I'm just going to pray for us. You guys can bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. As the, as the team comes up again, and, and I just want to pray this. Gracious Father, we come before you. And first of all, we come in celebration that Jesus, you are our apostle and high priest, that you are the hope we have for creatures to know our creator, and not just to know you, but to experience your presence as a sinful people in the presence of a holy, perfect God. Jesus, you have made that available to us. You are the only one who has made that available to us. So we praise you. We thank you for that. And Lord, as we ponder that and as we reflect on that, we, we pray that our lives then and our minds would not get caught up in other distractions in things that we can so easily place as an equal plane of greatness to you. Lord, there is no one greater and there is no one even equal to your greatness. And so I pray that we would, we would worship you with our lives and glorify you with our lives because you alone are worthy. Lord, I pray that as we, we contemplate and as we reflect and as we confess some of the things that we often pursue, whether it's the idols of, of sport or money or identity or knowledge, Lord, all these things that we can so easily pursue in this life that ultimately leave us empty apart from you. Uh, I pray that you would guide us into wisdom so that we would see our greatest calling is to know you and to experience you and to enjoy a life lived with you. And that all the other things would find their rightful place in our lives. That we would not worship them. That we would not find our significance in them that we would not find our meaning, our value, our identity, or even our salvation through them. But that we would look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we consider you, that we would grow more and more in your likeness to be the humans that we were created to be to be the people, the church that you call us to be with this beautiful heavenly calling. We have no hope apart from you to do that. And so we pray once again for your spirit to empower us with the good news of Jesus so that we can live that out in every aspect of our life. We thank you, gracious God, for this gift in Jesus. May we consider over and over again, your greatness in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.